0: Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of Splash of Cinema. Uh, it's been a while since we've been in the booth, so to say. Uh, but uh, we're happy to have uh, fellow squash boy, uh, Sam Rosevere here. Uh, Sam, how are you? Glad you could make it back on the pod. And I'm so excited to talk about these movies. Hey, I'm, I'm so happy to be
1: back. Happy to see you both back, you know, in the booth, as you said and thanks for the squash shout out you know the only thing that makes me more happy than playing squash with you peter is recording a podcast with you so happy to be back and good to see you john as well
2: it's good to see you sammy you're the ultimate film junkie and uh every time you come on i learn something so hands down favorite guest so far not yeah, gonna lie def- <laughs> definitely uh
0: favorite favorite of john and i and definitely favorite of our audience uh We can see that in the audience numbers Uh, there. I said it. Uh, But anyways, uh, we love having you on, Sam. Uh, Always a great time. Uh, So today we're going to talk about uh, some 2022 releases uh, that have been up there, not only in box office numbers, but also in popularity, uh, as well as I'd say one that's sort of under the radar that we all have a consensus about that we really like. Uh, And I think we get started if that's all right with you guys. uh, Let's hop right into it. Uh, with our hidden gem of the week, uh, Crimes of the Future. So it's directed by David Cronenberg. It's a 2022 release. And the plot reads, As the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, celebrity performance artist Sal Tenser publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances also written by David Cronenberg and it stars Vigo Mortensen, Leah Seydoux and Kristen Stewart. Uh, I mean, this is one that I really, I saw the trailer for it and just not being a fan of body horror, Uh, we talked about in the last episode with Titan, uh, just sort of how sort of squeamish it makes, it made us all feel. Uh, I was a little reluctant to see this one, uh, but ultimately Sam, uh, talked me into this one. So, uh, I'll let him start with it. Uh, just like what, what makes you like this movie so much? Cause I know we all like this movie, but. Yeah, I guess uh,
1: that's interesting that you bring up Titan with this. Cause I think Julia DeCronau is like, when people think of David Cronenberg, they think of body horror and a lot of people say she's kind of carrying that torch now. Um, but she does it in such a different way. I mean, that movie is just so upsetting um, and certainly crimes of the future has upsetting moments and really bad body horror moments, but it's almost like there's a certain beauty to it. It's not an ugly movie, right? At least in my opinion, there's a certain way that David Cronenberg shoots the body horror, um, in that, that I find pretty mesmerizing. Um, so I I just think it's interesting that you bring her up because they're, she's, she's carrying that torch now. Um, but no, I mean this is one of, if not my favorite movie of the year, uh, so far. And I just think it's completely fascinating. Uh, Cronenberg is someone who's whose filmography I've kind of recently discovered and kind of dove headfirst into, and think he's brilliant. And the way he has basically been touching on the same themes: body horror, you know, what we do to ourselves, how people regulate bodies media and how that influences our bodies he's been talking about this stuff for like 40 years but the way he you know the way his ideas have like morphed and changed and um it's just really fascinating to see so this this movie like I feel like I'm speaking pretty vaguely about it right now but it's I find it like fascinating in every sense of the word so I'll, I'll let you guys give your takes but I loved it. Maybe we can dig into it
2: more, but that's my vague take. We can uh, dig into it. Is that a pawn on the whole body horror surgery thing? So <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely let's uh, let's rip this movie open, you know, give it an, oh,
2: give it some weird surgeries to alter its, its organs. Um, yeah. What, what I think of this movie, I think of the, the whole existential piece to it, which is what makes it interesting and a lot different from just like a pure horror flick or a pure thriller of sorts just from the very get-go it questions kind of death and the political aspect of performance and, and what performance and entertainment looks like in the future. I mean, already in some way you can see it in our society, like people do to them do crazy things to themselves for entertainment of others. Um, and then none of that, none of these themes would be, uh, communicated really well if it wasn't for Mortensen I think his acting and a lot of it isn't really dialogue it's it's the it's the tiny grimaces and grunts it's him lying in the chair it's him feigning helplessness in a lot of senses um a lot of it's communicated through through him and he is a perfect leading man no one I ever would have expected to be in a body horror type of film or working with David Cronenberg um but it works and it's here, so I, I was a big fan of that. Aside from that, I don't know Cronenberg's filmography really well. But forgive me if I'm wrong. I don't think he's done a body horror film in a while, and I hadn't seen a lot of him lately. So the whole passing the torch thing. Maybe maybe he's not ready to pass it yet. Maybe he has some more commentary he want to make on make on the future. Um, and this is this goes a long way towards. Spelling out some kind of future that, while not totally realistic, has a lot of elements that we're already seeing in our world right now. And I thought that was really fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I I was talking to Sam about this before the episode. Just I love how realized the world was and like how the future seems like it's it's very like undercover, sort of this criminal organization. Uh, there's a bunch of different coups, so to say, within the film. And, you know, one of the funny things I thought about this movie was, like, these people just, like, cut each other open and, like, organically, they just can't feel pain. Like, that's a big thing that's communicated through the film. So, like, to kill people, they just drill it, like, a drill through their temple. It's just, like, it's so rugged when they have all this tech that they could carry out these heinous crimes. Uh, So, just, like, something really, really interesting that I thought about. Uh, But, I mean, the performances were great. I thought Kristen Stewart played, like, the great a great like me- sort of meek servant really well you know what i mean like sort of fangirling over vigo mortensen's character uh and there was sort of a battle there between her and leah seydoux about it uh because you know vigo mortensen's her canvas so an artist wants to you know keep that as close as she wants to her uh i don't know i've, I've just never seen anything like this uh and i i know you guys probably feel the same way uh just r- really interesting questions i was asking about this and uh yeah, definitely need to dive deeper into the Cronenberg catalog. Uh, anything more to say, Sam? I know you probably have multitudes to say, but yeah,
1: I have a I have a ton to say about this movie. Frankly, I think too much that would be appropriate for this podcast, right? So, um, nah, man. You know,
0: seriously, like it's one of your favorites of the year.
1: Like, spill out, man. Like, well, I mean, I appreciate that. I I think you know we're talking a lot about the body horror, and I think Neon, the distributor. Um, who I think mostly does a great job and I don't even think they did a poor job with this movie but this movie was marketed as people are going to walk out in the first 5 minutes it's the most disgusting thing you've ever seen it's scary I don't find this movie scary at all I find it like it kind of puts me in a weird trance uh, in a way that I've really never felt before and I think that's 100% due to the world building um you know that that Peter brought up I mean I just feel transported and so many visions of the future are look at this flying car or look, we can time travel or, you know, look at all this stuff. And I mean, even Cronenberg's like past movies have had stuff like that in it that are kind of dreamlike visions of the future, even if they're nightmarish. But this one, I feel like look outside right now, like this could happen. <laughs> um, You know, I mean, it's shot in like a crumbling Athens um, and in, in, in these ruins of buildings that, you feel like could exist today. Right. Um, and I thought, you know, the whole take on, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but evolution is a big part of this movie. How are human beings evolving? What's the next stage, uh, in human evolution. And I thought the way he in the same movie was able to interrogate how scary and in some ways really hopeful that that phase could be. Um, I I've just found that profoundly moving. And, and it has one of my uh, favorite endings of a movie that I've seen in a really long time um, that really sneaks up on you. and um, But when it happens, it's completely obvious. And But at the same time, open to interpretation. Peter and I, I think, had completely different takes on it. John, I, I haven't gotten your take on it yet, so we'll have to talk about it offline. But And both of those takes are valid, um, which I think is... N- absolutely to the movie's merit. So yeah, I mean, just thematically, it's a gold mine, And that's why I'm not going to go on a giant, you know, rant here. But I think see the movie for yourself. I mean, it's it's these old masters like Cronenberg, Scorsese, you know, people like that. It's just so nice to have them back and like, remember what it's like to just be completely transported somewhere that you know, we just don't get that often anymore. I mean, we never got it that often. These guys are special, but especially right now, I just feel like we don't get taken away as much as we used to. So mm-hmm. that that's my take. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I I know we've been calling it body horror, but like I'm kinda of reluctant to call it that. It's not it's more of just a dra- like a straight drama and, you know, like future film. Uh even from the first from the first scene with uh what is it, Lang's son eating plastic. Like that's not like a huge It's not, like, a huge spoiler, uh, so I'm going to say it. But, uh, you know, like, that's just a little seed that's planted there, and then it sort of stems from there. Like, it's just, at the end of the day, it's just, like, a very intricately crafted story, I'd say. Uh, And, like, the means by to tell that is through, like, the metamorphosis and changing of the human body. Uh, So I applaud Cronenberg for that, because he didn't really rely on, you know, these gruesome, dark scenes. And, like, even even, like the part where the guy has the bunch of ears and everyone's like, Oh, this guy f- fucking sucks. <laughs> like this guy's so dumb. Like uh, it's funny to see that there is some, uh, you know, some countering of that within the world uh, really gives the world a good three-dimensional feel. Uh, Cause I feel like oftentimes with future films, it's just always to the extreme and keep pushing the boundaries and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. Just purely all around good film. There, there would have been so many movies
1: like, like versions of this movie that would have said, look at the guy with a million ears on him. That's so gross. That's the whole movie. And, and that is just so much less interesting. And it's just totally meant to just shock you. And they, like you said, they call that out in the movie. Right. But Cronenberg, you know, there's always intentionality there with him. There's a reason why something is gross or why something is disturbing, you know? So I, that's a brilliant point, And I, I, I just want to call that out there, but. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It's not a body horror movie. It is a mini body horror movie. It's a mini undercover cop movie. It's a mini performance ar- artist movie. I mean, Kristen Stewart could have a movie all to herself. It's a fascinating performance, but he's able to bring all these things together and somehow make it feel coherent and, and new. And I just find it completely fascinating. Um, yeah.
2: I totally agree. Um, it's very subtle the approach in a lot of ways. What he's really going for is subtle. There's a lot of over-the-top body horror stuff, detective kind of low-key crimes element to it, but some scenes that really struck me, for example, were, I mean, the opening scene, right, with the little boy, and you don't really realize the significance of it until the ending, and I thought that's part of the reason that what made the ending so powerful. Another scene that I don't know why, but it got me, was when they initially go to the National Organ Registry and what you would think would be this big, prominent like office, it's just tiny and tucked away. And that's part of the world-building aspect of things. Um, it shows that in this society, like humans haven't evolved in the ways that we think humans have evolved. The world really doesn't look that much different than ours today, albeit a little more decrepit. It's humans themselves are evolving. And that's a prominent theory among a lot of people that visualize the future in our world today is that humans are either going to phase ourselves out with AI or we're going to become kind of self-imposed cyborgs to improve our lives, like alter our own bodies with technology um, or figure out biological ways to alter our own body. I mean, even now they're already able to make super babies or genetically modified babies. They're just... Someone's regulating it and stopping it as of now. But what happens when that goes away? What happens when the regulation isn't sufficient? Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's a really interesting question. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty wild that like also a guy in his seventies made this movie. You know, it's not like someone like you know seriously. Like think about it, and like even someone like Canadian for that matter. I know like Canada is like you know a little less progressive than America in terms of just world. Not nah, John's. It would similar plane all right whatever the fact that he's Canadian doesn't matter just the fact that I guess he's in his 70s is crazy because like the fact that he's still thinking about this stuff even like on his last sort of quadrant of life I guess uh just really speaks to Cronenberg and the questions he wants audiences to ask uh which I really respect from a filmmaker so yep. and not only is he thinking
1: about it but as someone who is almost 80 he doesn't seem frightened of it right like not to, I'm not going to spoil anything, but basically Viggo Mortensen spends the entire movie kind of fighting his body and, and fighting what's happening to him, trying to understand what's happening to him. And and Cronenberg seems to be asking, like, should we be spending all of our energy fighting this or should we change our perspective and, and see this as something natural and kind of beautiful, Right even if it seems ugly at first. Right. And I, especially, you know, it would be a beautiful idea. At least to me, I think it's, I, I think it's really, I've never felt anything like that in a movie before, but it would be a great idea from anyone, but especially from someone that old who's been talking about this stuff for so long and who seems to have a new perspective on it is like, I, I, I was really, really moved by it. So that's it just I'll say it again, one of my favorite endings in a really long time. So I'm glad we got to spend so much time on this movie. It's I
0: I mean, we can keep we can keep talking about it. Like, I definitely think this in terms of the slate that we're covering today definitely has the most things to talk about in a movie, just because it is so complex. It is so deep. It's it's very rich in terms of uh, its themes. So, I mean, I'm good to talk about this more. I mean, I, I had a few more points to make. It's uh, very I'll, true, Pete. Yeah, um, I'll, let, I'll let you go, John. Yeah,
2: I think really every single movie we're covering today, with the exception of maybe Hustle, but even Hustle has a lot to unpack. Every movie we're covering today, we could dedicate a whole episode to. Um, I remember when the Batman came out, which we'll get to later, Sam was like, we need to do a Batman episode ASAP. And honestly, we could do a full episode on Crimes of the Future. I think there's so much to unpack, not only... In the movie but also on its impact on the viewer on society the whole david cronenberg arc is is really cool i mean he is one of the old guard and it's rare to see a filmmaker like that operate so it's always a treat when they come back a little bit out of hiding in a sense and tackle in a master class fashion a film that they've clearly been planning and thinking about for years for decades, possibly. And it is it is very hopeful to see Cronenberg's perspective on body transformation shift a little bit as we enter this uncertain society. He's not going to be the one that sees a future like this. But he, I would like to see what Cronenberg would be like in the future. Because all this stuff that he's talking about is going to become more real, more fast um, as the human race evolves
0: yeah definitely uh yeah i just think more people need to see this one like that's that's part of why it's our hidden gem of the week uh i'm just seeing not even on letterboxd like not a lot of people have seen this one uh and also it's just hit or miss for a lot of people uh but i know we all enjoyed it uh but i mean if you like to give it a watch give it a watch uh we it's currently not streaming anywhere so we apologize for that but uh hit splash of cinema at gmail.com we're still rolling uh so we'll give you guys a link uh any any more thoughts on crimes of the future uh i mean I, i i'll say one more thing sorry i gotta shout out uh scott speedman who really doesn't do a lot of drama stuff uh he's like a teen heartthrob from the 90s he plays a he plays a good role in this really really deep character that's dealing with a lot of loss uh and also one of the main catalysts for the story uh Puts forth a great performance, uh, very uncharacteristic for him. Uh, just another performance I'd like to shout out. Uh, Rose or John, any more thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll shout out Scott Speedman. He was great, and he was my biggest surprise of the movie. I expected Kristen Stewart to kind of at least do something interesting. Uh, Vigo is always good, which, by the way, Vigo and David Cronenberg, one of like, the best recent partnerships in, in all of film. Um, Would really recommend A History of Violence. And Eastern Promises is like probably one of my two or three other favorite Cronenberg movies. Um, Both very different from this. And Vigo is very different in both of them. And all three performances are awesome. And this is definitely the weirdest one, but it it is like fascinating. Like he's always just doing something weird and not in an annoying way either, like in a, in a really in in a way where you're just like what is going on with this dude (laughs) like he just constantly you're like can I help this man in any way possible um and then I I think Leah Seydoux who's just like having one of the best careers right now like she's working with every director under the sun she's a bastion for international cinema independent cinema right um and she has such a warm presence in this movie and um So I'll I'll shout out all three of them. So not only is this like a great movie of ideas, but it's a great technical performance, craft, all of that too. So, you know, my love for this movie is, it should be pretty obvious at this point,
2: I'd say. It's, it's, it's true. And and I really appreciate your analysis, um, Sam, because I'm now learning to think of this movie in a different way. So, Vigo Mortensen is really second acting his career. I'm impressed. So I will lead into the next movie, um, which is going to be the Batman. We, we did mention that we'd cover it a couple minutes ago, and now it's time. So the plot reads, in his second year of fighting crime, Batman uncovers corruption in Gotham City that connects to his own family while facing a serial killer known as the Riddler. Written and directed by Matt Reeves, also written by Peter Craig, and it stars... The trio, Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, and Paul Dano. And I love, I don't know if you guys know, but this pod kind of loves Robert Pattinson. he He's part of the fabric of our pod. And Paul Dano, too, is outstanding. Um, his filmography is so good and so deep and so underappreciated, and this just adds to it. Um, and it's streaming on HBO Max. I forgot to mention that. So check it out. If you haven't seen the Batman, I, th- I think your head's been under a rock. This definitely isn't a hidden gem of any sorts. It was really hyped up, and it I think it fulfilled the hype. Matt Reeves painted this kind of dark, stylistic portrait of the Batman that was even darker in a lot of ways than Nolan's take. And he approached it with the same gravitas that I think Nolan approached the Batman with, which is not just to make money, not just to have this kind of mass appeal but instead to focus on the character himself and what he means to the world is he morally good or bad um and they they aided that with some nirvana a great soundtrack a great score a lot of cinematic parallels and shout outs in a scenes to a lot of older movies um a lot of shout outs to nolan's version and this kind of three hour meditation of sorts on who, who the Batman really is. And then Robert Pattinson pulls this ego goth kind of performance out and gives us the Batman with the, the bangs over his eyes a little bit, that, that dark character. Um, and I think physically in the suit, he was probably the best Batman I've seen. Out of the suit, Bruce Wayne, that's up to interpretation. But in the suit, he was exactly what I, I would have expected from Batman. This kind of brooding thug that doesn't really have that much innate superpower besides being super physically fit and having a an arsenal of gear. The Batmobile was also the best I've ever seen it. It was more of like a real car. And he just beats people up. He, he's just a He's a real brooding figure, and, and he has that own inner debate, like, am I good or not, that we haven't seen in the Batman before. And then Paul Dano's the, the Riddler really brings that out of him and also was a super realistic Riddler, this kind of modern villain, a serial killer of sorts that also does not really have a superpower. It's just really good at committing crimes and really wants to make a statement. Um, And he's kind of like this incel, which is exactly what I would expect from a modern villain. So that's my initial take. I have more to say on it. It it was a great movie, but I'll pass it on to someone else.
1: Yeah, I I really, really liked this movie. You know, as a straight man, uh, naturally, I love Batman. And um, I was pretty euphoric, I think, like when I saw this movie. Um, I was like, I need to see this again as soon as possible. Saw it twice in theaters. And I think it looks great. Um, I think the score is like one of the best blockbuster scores I've, I've heard in a really long time. Um, just like really like comic booky, but also really dark and brooding and big. And, um, I just thought they, they, kind of did everything right. And, um, Pattinson was awesome. I know he was kind of as Bruce Wayne, you're right, John, he's, he, he might, I think Bale is still much better as Bruce Wayne. He might be a better Batman. Um, but maybe that's just cause we really didn't get too much Bruce Wayne in this movie. He's in the suit for like almost the entire time, which, you know, I, I kind of think is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll kind of clear out a little on this one, just cause I, I feel like John has a lot more he wants to say, but I think this like, I was a little worried going into it cause the trailer, I thought it kind of looked like a video game kind of, for some reason. I don't know why I thought that, but in the theater, I mean, my God, it looks gorgeous. Like I, I don't know. I, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. I was really blown away by how good it looks and Dano, I'll give him his flowers, like truly disturbing performance. Um, like and and modern in a way that doesn't feel like a cheap shot but like truly scary and 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 like kind of almost made me laugh because of how uncomfortable I was not and I wasn't laughing at him but just like I needed a natural release when I was in the theater right um yeah really really enjoyed this movie I thought Warner Brothers kind of knocked it out of the park and I'm, I'm excited for the next one I have one really bad criticism, which is that I thought they almost, like, escaped not teasing the next, like, big villain in this movie, and they did it, and I really didn't think this movie needed that. Um, I, I mean, I, they tease a pretty major character near the end, and I just thought it was, like, completely took me out of the rest of the movie. Um, But overall, I mean, just, like, awesome, awesome stuff. So, Pete, I'll let you go.
0: Yeah, sorry, my uh, mic was muted there. But uh, yeah, I definitely think uh, like Crimes of the Future, I mean, the world is like wholly realized in this. Uh, even from one of the first appearances of Batman, where this isn't spoiling anything, like he beats up a group of like like a street gang, essentially, he just beats them up and he's like, I'm vengeance. And he just like, you know, he lays that on him. Uh, so it really, it's a great introduction to Batman because you don't know if he's good or bad in this. You know, Bruce Wayne also has always been portrayed as you know this huge flashy billionaire who has like two girls on his arm at all time and you know Pattinson is I think this is a more realistic billionaire I know we've been talking about like the interpretations of Bruce Wayne I think this is the the most true interpretation of Bruce Wayne if that makes sense like because he's gone through some serious shit in his life uh, especially with his parents and you know that's another thing that I like I know I'm just like keep going without finishing my thought but there's just so much to unpack here uh like Bruce Wayne's parents, that's sort of teased to be sort of corrupt in this film, which the comics really focus on, uh, as well as the, you were bringing up the eyeliner, like that's another thing from the comics. Uh, so I think I I like how Matt Reeves really did his research here and really thought of a really grounded, like full Gotham, uh, especially who we haven't even talked about him yet. Uh, but Colin Farrell as the Penguin, like I... I fucking fucking love that. Like the fact that you couldn't even recognize Colin Farrell, like this huge actor who's been in so much, like couldn't even recognize him. And like that, I think that's a testament to just how true Matt Reeves wanted this world to be. And uh, even from, you know, the interpretation of Batman to sort of the Riddler and everything we've been talking about is just so reflective of what this world is and sort of how gross and underground it is uh just super realistic super eye-opening too i i thought the runtime was a little too long i thought the middle half was kind of muddy the latter half of the second act was a little bit muddied but i mean the third act was like fucking amazing like the one one of the coolest ending scenes especially from batman uh shows sort of the pride that he has not only in himself but in gotham uh really dope like you were saying the michael giacano score Phenomenal! Like he's done so much. Uh, there's so many positives about this. Uh, I, that was the only qualm I have, like the slow moving, uh, but a must see. If you haven't seen Batman, like y- you've either been living under a rock or you don't have HBO Max or you missed it in theaters. Uh, so I mean, definitely see this one. It's a must see. Uh, any more, guys?
2: Oh yeah, I, I have more um, to hop on with the whole Colin Farrell thing. I think they're making a limited series about the penguin. I could be wrong about that. He was the comic relief for me in the movie. I Paul Dano was great. Um and he he was kind of comically villainous at, at points where I was like, man, this guy's crazy. But Colin Farrell really leaned into the fact that his character was the comic relief. And it was it's naturally it's dark comic relief. His character's not great. But you find yourself rooting for the penguin in a way that you wouldn't expect. He's kind of this sleazy character, but you keep rooting for him because you want to see more screen time with him. And I would, have, I would not have minded more Colin Farrell in the film. And then just to touch on the, the three-hour runtime, that is a big qualm I have with the movie as well. I think there's a lot of details in there that weren't necessary, but I would much rather have a director focus on making a movie beautiful and going in on the, the stylistic parts of it to add runtime than the opposite, which would be to not give us a full story. And this was a full story from beginning to end. There's a lot of world building that goes into it. I mean, it's three hours deep, and there's a lot of character building. And there's so many fully realized characters in this film. Colin Farrell's character, Pattinson's character, Dano's character. Zoe Kravitz is another one. And I thought it was my favorite version of the Catwoman that I've seen. She was more modern femme fatale kind of badass than any Catwoman, Catwoman cat, women, cat woman i'd seen before and a lot of them are just played as like a sexual tension kind of companion to batman there was a an element of that in this but it was more of a someone he really needs yeah and, and, and
0: she, he also yeah. he also just like builds story around her like there is a story around Catwoman and like what happens to her relating to the mob and stuff uh and even i mean there's ties in with her personal life you know it's just like Every, every character in this is pretty three-dimensional, aside from Gordon, I'd say. There wasn't much focus on him, like in Christopher Nolan's, you know, with his family and whatnot. But you didn't need it. Like, you didn't need it, because there was so much depth to, like, every other focal character in this.
2: Yeah, she's, she's so integral to the mob's doings. And Batman gets nowhere without Catwoman in this. And then... I, I really haven't seen much of Zoe Kravitz. I hope I see more of her going forward because, man, she is fun to watch. She is so badass. And just the riding on the motorbike and the club scenes. I mean, she basically moonlights as like this bottle service, but also like whispers in the ear of the mobster person. And it was just genius. I really loved how well written that character was. And I loved how much she bought into it because I haven't seen a lot of Zoe Kravitz and I want to see more going forward. She's really a force to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah. I thought she was great. And, uh, really like to me, the chemistry between her and Pattinson, it's because of her. It's, it's pretty hard for Pattinson to like show that he's interested in someone behind like 50 pounds of like iron or whatever he's wearing. Um, but she is like, I mean, they, they have a couple like kisses and stuff like that, that I, I actually, you know, when, when comic book characters kiss, it's easy to think it's like pretty silly, but I found that they were pretty intimate and like uh, there was a lot of tension there. And that was refreshing to see in a, in a big comic book movie like this. And, you know, which I think kind of leads me to something which that, which is that this is such a good take on this character. It's, it, it, it is completely new for like this comic book genre, but also feels like it, it, it feels like Batman, the animated series that I kind of like feel like I grew up watching. Right. Like that just feels like the definitive Batman, whereas Nolan feels like a take, I think a, a better movies, awesome movies. Uh, but this feels like this is Batman, not Nolan's Batman. This is just, this is who Batman is to me. Um, right. And, that was really fun to see. And I, I just really love the way this movie starts too. Like shout out to Paul Schrader. Like there was a whole like five or 10 minute segment where Robert Pattinson's just like narrating like his daily life. And it was totally like Oscar Isaac in the card counter kind of, or, or something like that. Like you could have told me part, Paul Schrader wrote that and I would have believed you. But yeah, this this movie like opens really strong. Uh, great beginning scene that I won't spoil. And and then that narrated piece that leads to him like beating up a, a bunch of people. Um, and then I think it has one of the best action set pieces that I've seen in a, in a blockbuster in a long time, which is the car chase with the penguin, like halfway through the, the movie. And I think it's probably the best blockbuster action sequence I've seen since the car chase in the dark night where they go under the tunnel and the truck flips over like, it's kind of interesting that these two movies are, like, that good, right? So, and it's the same character. I guess this character can kind of elevate, uh, you know, comic book action a little bit. So, that's pretty much all I have to say. Really, really enjoyed this movie. I agree it's a little too long, but overall, had a great time and was not mad that I was still in the theater after three hours, so...
0: Yeah, uh, just got to shout out Matt Reeves' mustache. Just like one of the best mustaches we've seen on a director. Uh, but aside from that, like going into this, I knew he could do action. Uh, like as much as people are sort of polar on the Planet of the Apes movies, the action in it is like undeniably good. And like some really like great three-dimensional characters there as well. It's uh, so, like I really wasn't surprised that the Batman was so deep. Uh, and yeah, just all around just it's it's sort of a depressing movie also like you see the degradation of a lot of characters in this uh especially through colin farrell like i by the end of the movie you just kind of feel bad for him you know like he's like he's sort of just a shriveled man inside uh but uh yeah it's just it's just i don't know there's so much to unpack here uh just go see this one like you have to john i know you have stuff to say so i'm gonna stop rambling but
2: I'm good. I I really think I've said that all that needs to be said, uh, I'm a huge fan and, and I'm excited to get into the other movies we have. I mean, we've said it before. We'll say it again. We could do an hour, two hour, three hour episode on the Batman and we still wouldn't cover everything that needs to be covered. And that's kind of the point. Matt Reeves overloads us with stylistic content that really appeals to the, the modern cinephile. Um, and I, I loved, I loved that because I didn't feel like he was just reaching for your average twenty-one year old in the audience, or your average forty-year-old. He was, he was reaching out to the people that love really good movies, and he tried to make it, he tried to add another dimension to it, and I think he was largely successful in that. And that, that's probably a reason some of the mainstream criticized it because it was too deep and there was too much, but someone that's really interested in this universe and doesn't get to see this character only a couple of years at a time, maybe the Batman loves, loves seeing that. And I'm really excited for the second one. It's, it's gotta be ambitious if it's gonna overdo what the first did. Um, and I'm excited for the second Joker too, uh, on a separate tangent. I, I think I think the Joker and Batman were both like great standalone pieces to have within a couple of years, years of each other. And I think they were both profound, Um, but that's, that's all I have to say on the film. Unless anyone has anything else to say, I I can lead us into the next one.
1: Well, I just want to say, did you guys see that the next Joker movie is a musical?
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't feel good about that one. Like if I don't want to hear a Joaquin singing, like, sorry, I just don't think he's going to be that good i don't even know how to feel like i just can't really re- <laughs> That's a real sentence right so
1: i you know it, it kind of blows my it's, mind but yeah that, that that's all it's it still
0: to. todd phillips it's still todd phillips right i think so yeah i think so yeah it's, it's, uh, it's still todd phillips he yeah, should
2: he doesn't it would be sad if it wasn't he shouldn't give up that baby I of just, a franchise uh, yeah, I, I also think it just, just don't the i don't first
0: th- one. I, yeah it doesn't need a sequel like as like, I don't think the Batman needs a sequel either. Like, they're both great standalone character study movies, and like, they can be that way. Uh, they both have like whole endings. <laughs> like, you know, you don't need to extend it, but you know, that's that's the Hollywood mechanism. So, what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Paul Dano, though. If if I mean, people were just starting to talk about Paul Dano after this movie. Like,
2: I know it's so. I love it. Yeah, when, that, like, pisses me that pisses The mainstream like me picks up on some like people were talking about Pattinson for the first time too I'm like you know this guy is exists aside from like Twilight like have you seen him in an Eggers movie have you seen him in a Safdie Brothers movie like he is in those things so he'll win he's went he's gonna win a best actor Oscar at some point in his career and I've made that prediction before and I'm gonna continue with it I think after the Batman franchise Pattinson's gonna turn towards more of the artsy films again and now that he has the mainstream appeal and everyone loves him so much it's gonna kick in and like next time he gives a performance like the lighthouse or good time i think it gets a nomination with it and possibly an award that's just my that's just my take but that's a, it's that's gonna a very happen very good take yeah no, when it happens take. yeah yeah so yeah. anyway that was the batman we we good on the batman y'all yeah yeah we're okay. good okay so next, we're going to be covering kind of a personal favorite, hits, hits me a little deep, Top Gun Maverick. Um, after more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him, Pete Maverick Mitchell finds himself training a detachment of Top Gun graduates for a specialized mission the likes of which no living pilot has ever seen. Directed by Joseph Kosinski, written by Aaron Kruger, Christopher McQuarrie, and Justin Marks stars Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, alongside a plethora of other young talents. Um, I'm going to start with the whole Navy spiel. So people just need to understand, okay, that this is a Navy, Navy aviator movie. And the Navy has the best aviators. They fly off in aircraft carriers and the Air Force pilots don't do that, right? Navy is the one that runs Top Gun School. And the original Top Gun's Navy in this movie's Navy. And it's kind of a beef with me because studies have shown that after the first Top Gun, the recruitment rates for the Air Force went through the roof more than naval aviation. And that's just that's not the point. It's about Navy. Air Force pilots couldn't do the things that that are done in Top Gun. Um, So that's my first point. My second point, literally on the conversation we were just talking about with people discovering actors, the amount of stuff I've seen about Miles Teller and like, who's this Miles Teller? He's like, great. He's such a hunk. All that stuff could have been realized like eight years ago, 10 years ago with whiplash or even
0: the spectacular now, even like the spectacular even now.
2: Yeah. Um, And he's been in a lot of other stuff. Like he was in war dogs and stuff, but I'm glad Miles Teller is making a little bit of a comeback. He was the perfect character for rooster, the perfect actor. And I think he did probably learn a lot from Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. You can hate him for the Scientology stuff. You can hate him for some of his wacky beliefs. The guy is a man on a mission. <laughs> kind of an impossible mission, right? And <laughs> oh come he, on, come on, come on. He man. is just intent on making these films that assuredly need to go to the movie theaters. Um, and he he's not gonna make a streaming film. That's not who Tom Cruise is. And he still wants to act in them and he's still keeping himself in great shape. And he's still intent on keeping some kind of old values in the movies, which I personally like a lot. And he's also intent on doing a lot of real stunts, which he gives kind of this preface before the Top Gun film that it's shot with real actors and real planes and all that stuff. I don't think it needed to be said, but it's perfect. It it is true. And when you watch the F-18 stunts and, and like the plane stunts, and you realize that someone's actually in the cockpit doing those flying, it makes it all the more impressive. Um, and to see that in a movie theater and to finally see it rewarded, this was top, Tom Cruise's highest grossing film, is is great. It kind of makes me feel like the movies are back a little bit. That and The Minions Rise of Gru are making me, giving me a lot of hope. Um, and no matter what it is, it's great to see people coming out and getting in the movie theater um, as long as it's not really Marvel, and this isn't Marvel, so I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. It was creative. It was a really good homage to the first Top Gun. It was a really good homage to the, homage to the change that the military has seen, but also society's seen. And also, the Val Kilmer shout-out shout out was great. To see him in his like last movie role was fantastic, and I think that they really made it work um with the with all the physical limitations he had so it was it's just a shout out to the the 1980s in in, in a way that we're not going to get anymore and they really don't make movies like this anymore um and there probably won't be a movie like this again tom cruise isn't doing another top gun it, he doesn't need to make another top gun um it was just so good and i saw this with my dad and it was perfect because this is the this is the type of movie you go see with your dad right and, and to me, it has a special meaning just because I'm about to enter naval aviation. I mean, at least that's the hope. I've been flying a little bit this summer. So while I may or may not be a jet pilot, it just made my whole kind of like life for the past couple of years seem more real and, and worth it. Um, obviously, Top Gun Maverick is not the way that war is actually conducted. It's, it's a terrible thing. And there's a lot of criticisms of this movie and that like the defense contractors were all about it and we're promoting it and using it to sell their aircraft, which are just meant to kill people. Um, and so that's kind of sad, but also I don't think it's about that. And Tom Cruise is quoted after the first Top Gun saying war isn't a roller coaster ride. I'm just trying to make a, a fun action movie. And, and he does that well, um, but it, it also does have that American spirit which is missing from a lot of movies today. So, that's just my take.
0: Yeah, I mean, y- you you'd know it better than anyone I think we'd have on this pod uh sort of how it operates uh you know, just a great time with this one really. Uh really a feat for the action genre, I will say. Like you said, like they were literally in those planes doing up to like 8Gs, I think it was like doing this stuff. Like n- there's so many stories about the actors passing out and whatnot. Just, uh and you wouldn't expect anything less from Tom Cruise. Like he wants authenticity in the action genre. You've seen it with mission impossible. I mean, they're making a new mission impossible too, which is like, that's baffling to me. Like this man is so old and he's still doing boss shit. Like it's, it's just so awesome. Uh, you know, he turned into Ethan hunt for a little in top gun Maverick, which I appreciated a uh, little homage to those movies uh but yeah they just tied everything together from the from the 80s version really well uh i you you like crazy miles teller i i didn't I, I mean he was just like kind of there like i don't know i think i think a lot of actors could have played that role i guess is what i'm saying uh i think that's sort of across the board with this movie like character isn't the main thing like the main thing is that they're doing these things in in the planes like sure there is the connection with goose and rooster and that's a huge theme in the film but uh it's mainly the action like everyone who went to see this wanted to see like high speed planes and like crazy crazy warfare in the air uh, and like the final mission was super dope uh i think my favorite part was when I, I don't think this is a spoiler really like when tom cruise is like sort of dismissed uh mav is dismissed and then John Ham's like, What's that? And he's like, I'm in the air. And he's just like doing the course. And he's just like showing that he is the best. Uh, because he is Maverick. Uh, just a great scene. I love the I love the characters they introduced to. I liked Hangman a lot. He played like the perfect dick. Uh, some great names to uh yeah, Hangman. What was what was another one of the names? There's some great names. The like call great, signs? Yeah, some great call signs. That's what I meant. Yeah fanboy <laughs> bob yeah oh my gosh. fanboy there was another good one uh i forget payback? who fanboys payback payback that was it yeah that one was good call uh, signs
2: are really cool and i love that the military still does that
0: yeah what's uh, what's yours gonna be i meant to ask oh that.
2: uh, that's given to you by someone else but pa- it will probably boy. Be... it's it's <laughs> almost always something that like makes fun of who you are as a person or like some instant that you've had some incident or something so in in Tom Cruise's sense Maverick is it is a badass one but it's probably because he like went off on his own into something stupid at some point um, they're not as cool as as the ones in the movie but a guy that grew up like in my hometown he's an Air Force pilot his is shred and it's because he like plays the guitar a bunch which I think is sick that's badass yeah yeah <laughs> Um, also, on the Miles Teller point, before I pass it over to Sam, I I understand like he didn't need to show his his acting skills here a lot, and no one really needs to, not even Tom Cruise, um, but he was perfect for the role in the sense that he had the fattest mustache I've ever seen, um, or one of them, and that is perfect. Pilots are known for their mustaches, and like it it fulfilled that very well. And then also like he looked great just like ripped with the aviators on, which is, I don't know. I just envisioned him as the perfect rooster in a sense. I I, I think other actors could have done it, but maybe not as good. I, I really don't know. I don't think he's just what I imagined. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he, you're right. He doesn't have too much to do, but he looks just like rooster. It's crazy how much he looks like rooster. Um, And I actually learned that Austin Butler, the guy who plays Elvis in the Elvis movie, he auditioned for Top Gun to play Rooster and Miles Teller beat him out. And Miles Teller auditioned to play Elvis and Austin Butler beat him out. So it's kind of interesting. And I think they both could have probably done either. But um, yeah, no, I, I really I don't know how I follow up what you two have said. I mean, it's just an one of the most watchable movies ever it's just constantly entertaining and and comforting but also extremely thrilling and and um it's a great movie about how tom cruise will just never die and like will be here forever <laughs> it like him or not he has like etched his name into the history of cinema right um i mean i might not love everything he's done in his personal life frankly i don't really know too much about it because I love Magnolia. I love, you know, Rain Man. I love Top Gun. I love Top Gun Maverick. Right. Um, And I think Top Gun Maverick is a lot, a lot better than Top Gun. So that is saying something. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the, the flying scenes, I saw this in the AMC Dolby sound system theater and basically just like got my face melted. Um, Like it, it was, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. Like I I have never had my seat like vibrate like that in a movie theater, Um, which was really cool. And it is just like definitely the biggest hit of the year. Like John said, makes me feel like movies are back. Um, And I will say a lot of that is due to Tom Cruise. Like the second part of my night watching that movie was seeing mission impossible, dead reckoning part one's trailer. Like, that got me so amped. I was like, give it to me right now. I saw Tom Cruise run his bike off of a cliff with no way of like parachuting out of it, and you know somehow like he's just going to be fine. It was awesome. I want to see that movie right now. So, you know, a great movie, um, a great, like, across-the-board blockbuster hit, um, and a lot of emotion in there, too. I think it's a very, like sentimental and sappy movie um and i thought it was also a really good romance um jennifer connelly i thought i hadn't seen her in a movie in a really long time and i thought she was wonderful and again such a warm screen presence um and there's not that many people in the world that i think tom cruise like i can picture being in love with tom cruise but i can picture the two of them together right um frankly just because they're both just gorgeous honestly um yeah that's pretty much all i have to say I, I i love this movie it's it's awesome to be talking about movies that make john and pete like smile and like show so much emotion when they're talking about it and i think top gun maverick did that for a lot of people so
2: yeah jennifer connelly uh, auditioning for the role of mrs
0: Cruz number four <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah, just, you know what I didn't know? Do you know the guy who played Bob is uh, Bill Pullman's son? I had no clue until, like, after I watched the movie. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, Lewis Pullman. He was very good, though. I thought
1: all of the, I mean, not a lot of the supporting people had much to do. I mean, I thought Glenn Powell was pretty good. Um, Like you said, just kind of like a dick. Like, But he was really, really awesome at it. But everyone was solid. Like, there wasn't anyone where I was like, oh, that's a bad performance like everyone was great and that's interesting you can kind of now thinking about his face i can see bill pullman and in him so that's cool
0: and like ed harris was just like casually in it like for like two minutes like pretty crazy uh john John ham john ham always plays like the best like cop like law enforcement like authoritative figure he just plays that so well uh and like I don't know, I just love John Hamm. Like he's great. Uh, if you if you ever uh, watched Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, that's like an all time John Hamm role. I know it's like a very niche reference, sort of like a Thirty Rock type show. Uh, but he plays like a pedophile DJ, and it's like the funniest shit ever. Uh, so I really recommend that. But uh, check him out
2: I- as well in uh, progressive commercials. They're insane. They're off the wall.
0: <laughs> he's playing the role of Tom Hamm
1: in those in those commercials, isn't he, John? Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: the the wannabe flow mistress yeah that's yeah
1: no i mean that's beside the point <laughs> he he was good in this movie i think like frankly he's the most annoying part of this movie because he's the one that's like maverick we're gonna ground you you're staying on the ground and you're just like can this guy just stop and let let my boy just like go do some crazy stuff on in the air like and uh but I mean, there has to be some sort of conflict and coming from an actor that I think most of the world really loves it. It goes, that pill goes down a little easier. Right. Um, So yeah, I thought John Hamm was pretty good.
2: I mean, it had to be like that with Maverick needs the people that are, need to tell him that he can't do the things and then he shows them up. Like, and that's written into this script probably five or six times um, where Maverick gets some sort of challenge. And that's, also seen in the first Top Gun a little, although not to the same extent. But, you know, like I'm sitting there with my dad and, and every time someone tells Maverick he can't do something and then he goes and flies the plane anyway, like against orders and does such a good job that they can't punish him. Like the entire theater just like laughs or is like, oh yeah, like that's badass. Like that's Tom Cruise for you. And Tom Cruise is kind of a an actual Maverick in real life because a lot of people would have said that this couldn't have been accomplished the way it was accomplished. Um, and it was, you know, the mass appeal aspect to it, the critical claim that it received. He, he uh, really maverick this one. He, he nailed it out of the park. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: uh, someone fact check me if this is right, but uh, I think I read something somewhere that Kaczynski and his crew was paying uh, $10,000 per hour to the Navy To fly them for this, it was
2: over twenty, I think.
0: Over twenty, okay. Yeah, which is like crazy because, like, I mean, this isn't even like one of the biggest budgets we've ever seen. You know, it's like it's that's that part alone is crazy to me. Uh, Oh wait, no, it's eleven thousand. You're right, eleven thousand. Okay, okay, yeah. Which is like in the if you like tally... like that's not that crazy. Like if you think about the best if you think about
2: a ballooning film budget, like when you talk about one of those Netflix movies. Like Red Notice or something, like one of those like just crappy movies that they pay two hundred million dollars for, and then something like this comes under that. You're, you just question like, where does this money go? Um,
1: John, let yeah. me take it a step further. A few days ago, I went and saw the movie Thor: Love and Thunder, and I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I bet the budget is. Not too far away from Top Gun Maverick. I mean, I know Top Gun Maverick was probably super expensive. But I can't tell you how much better Top Gun Maverick looks. And frankly, like the Batman even looks like compared to 411 Thunder. It's I mean, Marvel has more money than anyone right now. And seeing a movie like Top Gun Maverick was just so refreshing. Like this is a packed theater and. I'm not looking at a green screen or whatever the LED lights that they use now. I I don't know the word for that technology, but I don't see the seams coming loose in the production. Like this movie is just gorgeous and someone's in that plane. And oh, my God, did Tom Cruise just get shot down out of the sky in real life? You know, like like it was so refreshing to see like real. It just felt there was gravity to it. There was real stakes to it, which which was super fun.
2: It's almost like they pay more for, like, the CGI things that we can see are clearly, like, that's such a knack for a lot of films is the CGI that looks like it's falling apart. Um, And I get it. It's Marvel. Like, you got to use some CGI. But the Batman could have used so much, and it used almost none. um, And it was great. I, I found those figures for you, by the way, Sam. Thor, $250 million budget. Thor 11th under. Top Gun Maverick, $170 million budget. And Batman, $185 million budget.
1: So think about that. They're pl- they're paying for the planes. They're paying all... Tom Cruise probably one of the most expensive actors working right now. There's a lot of people in that movie. And there is giant action sequences in that movie. And it still costs... What would you say? Like, I don't know. 80 $170 million. million. $80 million. Oh. That's...
2: Yeah.
1: That's crazy. crazy. And so, and I'm not saying that to be a Marvel hater. It's just it's noticeable. I I like some of Marvel's movies, but it it is noticeable, especially when you see Top Gun Maverick in the big screen. Like it was just an awesome movie going. We can, can
2: knock on Marvel a little bit. Um, that's fine. I'm always willing to do that. I just think with a budget that big, like you should just be making a better movie. And I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel. Put, um, put
0: story before looks like that's, that's always how I operate.
2: And I the, like people. the Ridley Scott criticism, the Martin Scorsese criticism. I don't think these guys innately hate Marvel movies. I think they hate is like what it's doing to cinema. Right. Because they're, they're going to make their money back. And then you have a movie like the North man that is just so like preciously and delicately made. We're going to, we're going to cover it. Um, but that movie is somewhat of a box office flop and it's so disappointing because you have that next to like Thor Love and Thunder, which super expensive, doesn't have to be that even that great of a movie. And they know it's going to make its money back the opening weekend. And so they, they don't try as hard.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's I think this, your point, Peter, about story over looks is great. But when you have two hundred fifty million dollars. Why does it look fake? i I, it, I john you're right it just confuses me and i think you're we could have a whole podcast about the scorsese comments i think top gun maverick is a great example he his whole thing is these are thrill ride movies these are movies you go see to be thrilled not to be not to appreciate the art of cinema top gun maverick has a lot of that in it you're like almost on a roller coaster but it you know to your point I don't think he means that as an insult. I think he's almost kind of in awe of what these Marvel movies can do in terms of, you know, the action and the effects and all that, at least what they used to be able to do. But, you know, when they're being made poorly and still they're making so much money, you know, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't leave this part in because this is such a segue, but... Or a non-second. It's fine. No, it's totally. Like,
0: it, it needs to be said. Like, I, I think I think a mainstream audience really doesn't underst- not understand what we're talking about, but like goes into a movie being blind to this. And like I'm, I'm glad that we've noticed this. And it's important to be said. Uh, because it's definitely the way that film is moving. Uh, unfortunately. So uh unfortunately, and yeah,
2: it's just the way it is.
0: Yeah. A weird, weird tangent, but have you got have you have you guys seen the uh have you guys seen the picture of uh, Tom Cruise's face split in half? And uh, his one tooth? His, he has, only has, like, one front tooth. And it's just split in half. Uh, when he look was it, young? No, like, Before now. We... Like, look it up. It's so funny. And, like, part of me during Top Gun Maverick, like, in his intimate scenes with Jennifer Connelly, I was just laughing at it. Because, like, his, his tooth is just, like, split. Like, he doesn't... His two front teeth are just not centered at all. Oh, yeah. I know that's, like... Uh, yeah, right. I just think it's funny. Like I don't know. It's a weird <laughs> tangent. <laughs> that is yeah, a weird dude. tangent. But uh, it's I like part of me was just looking at that during the movie. Uh just the creepy. Thing. That's the yeah. stuff you focus on when you think of cinema. Dude, what Tom Cruise a handsome man, man. Uh I don't know what you want me to say. Uh all right, I think we've talked enough about Top Gun Maverick. Uh obviously a must-see. Uh even like just bring your parents out to see this. Uh the movie for all generations really has a deep sense of uh, patriotism to it as well. Uh, another question. Sorry. This is the last question I'm going to ask about Top Gun Maverick. Who do you guys think was the enemy country? Oh, God. Russia. I don't want to go. <laughs> <further clear. laughs> no, no, no. I don't even think it's political. It's just like by appearance of plain like terrain.
2: It was an amalgam um, of like the Soviet Union, I think. Okay. Um, okay
1: it is pretty funny that they just say the enemy that, that,
2: that
0: yeah. Right. Like they don't, I
1: don't, yeah. I don't know who you would say, I don't know who you would say. It's probably not good to say anyone, but it is, it, it's one of those like little winking things in there that, you know, is, Yeah, is, they're
0: just
2: like, Oh, they're building a nuclear plant. Let's just go in and kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good job, dude. <laughs> yeah. Some people think it's Iran, but, that's the middle east right so i'm thinking russia yeah yeah it's like the mountains of iran
0: yeah north korea maybe like yeah i don't know that would be very risky uh i think it's probably russia like siberia somewhere
1: yeah i was thinking siberia but i don't know that should we be worried about siberia like i I, I guess
2: somewhere in the ural mountains or something maybe like kazakhstan maybe One of those
0: countries that's like secretly ruled by Russia.
2: They're down doing the flyover and Borat
0: just mops his head up. (laughs) Hello, welcome to my country. (laughs) nice, Tom Cruise. Very nice. Uh, Okay. All right. uh, Enough about Top Gun and uh, our favorite movie, Borat. Uh, We're going to move on to another 2022 release. Uh, John just referenced it. It is The Northman. Uh, So it's Robert Edgar's third installment that reads Prince Amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two decades later, Amleth is now a Viking who's on a mission to save his mother, kill his uncle and avenge his father. Uh, So it's written by this Icelandic poet named Sjön, who also uh, wrote Lamb, which is a recent A24 release, uh, pretty famous in Iceland. Uh, and Robert Eggers, and it stars Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Anya Taylor-Joy, among others, Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke. You know, Eggers has these relationships developed uh, by this point, and it is actually streaming on Peacock Premium. Uh, I recommend everyone sees this one as it is, as Robert Eggers and many uh, Norse historians have said, it is the most realistic Viking movie of all time. And I definitely agree with that uh, from what I've seen. Uh, Who would like to lead into this one? Uh, Just a great one.
1: Yeah. Um, Robert Eggers. I, I don't think I've ever talked about Robert Eggers on the pod before, but like one of the signature new filmmakers. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think this is only his third movie because he's, at least for me, when I think about the last 10 years or so in movies, he is one of those like new voices, in movies. And he, like, in terms of talent, he might be number one. Like he's, he's, there's not a more like detailed, textured filmmaker out there right now, in my opinion. Um, he's one of those like control freaks from what I understand that just everything has to be perfect. Um, if you have not seen The Witch or The Lighthouse, two of the most essential movies um, of the last 10 years, and your mileage may vary on them if you don't like horror movies or if you don't like straight up just like weird stuff happening in lighthouses, um, which I I showed the lighthouse to my family and I thought they were about to start a riot. I, they, they really hated it, but I loved that movie. Um, And the Northman is, is really like his expansion. Like he, he, he gets to widen his canvas so much. It's amazing. And really like, Makes me think of those classical like epics of cinema. Um, I saw a movie earlier this year that was luckily screening kind of near me in Minneapolis um, by Akira Kurosawa, who directed Seven Samurai, and movies like that. If you're not familiar with them, but the movie's called Ran, and I loved it. And it so many of the scenes were just these giant battles and just people running across like physical fields and mountains and riding horses. And you know just trekking like and and I realized like you just don't see that that much anymore really at least not in like physical space like real earth physical space and um the Northman has that I mean it call it, it reminded me of that movie in that way right um this is a very very violent movie a very single minded movie it's it's a revenge movie and that's pretty much all it's about um. So there's not a whole lot of nuance, but what there is, is a lot of amazing action. Um, Just like pitch perfect directing. In my opinion, he hasn't missed like once in his directing. Um, And like these performances, my God, I mean, Alexander Skarsgård, like, I think it would be really easy for people to say this performance is like just macho or just like, he's just a badass. He gets to some places in this movie where like I'm watching a guy transform into an animal. And I think that actually takes a lot of vulnerability <laughs> to to be allow yourself to become as an actor that violent and that primal on screen, right? Like there's one scene where these berserkers are like running around a fire chanting and I'm like this guy's just turning into a bear. Like I'm watching him turn into a bear and uh and, and that doesn't even get into like the actual violence that he inflicts on people. But um, we, we mentioned it earlier, it flopped at the box office and it's one of those things where you're like, this is really telling like what people are interested in right now. This is a movie like that is just like a gnarly action movie that ends with a showdown in the middle of a volcano and we couldn't get people to, to go see it really. So I, I'll just encourage everyone to, To watch this movie, this is probably the most accessible of Robert Eggers movies, though it still, you know, has a lot of authenticity to it and like they speak in the Viking tongues and stuff like that. Um, And there's a lot of lore that goes into it, but it is, for the most part, very accessible and I would encourage everyone to watch it because when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this could be a classic. Like, I think who wouldn't like this movie, especially if you like action movies or, you know epics like I I don't know like if you like the epics of like Francis Ford Coppola like this has that feel actually Ethan Hawke was like I wanted to know what it was like to make Apocalypse Now and that's why I signed up to do this movie even though he has a pretty small role so I know I kind of rambled there but kind of passionate about this movie really was was blown away in the theater and and um haven't gotten to watch it a second time yet, but I'm very excited to and hope more people watch it because I want him to keep making awesome movies. Um, so yeah.
2: Yeah. uh, Everything you said was just like perfect on that one. And I completely agree in all of the ways. Um, the acting was phenomenal. I really liked Anya Taylor joy. Uh, she's, she's starting to get her laurels. Um, from Queen's Gambit and onward, but she's she's kind of low key in this movie, but she plays like the foil to Skarsgård, um, but also Egzamon. It's it's great, and on top of it being an epic, it it has that romance aspect to it, but it's it's more of a real romance. It's more of a a Viking romance, as I would expect, and and she plays that character so so great without having the the Nordic ties that Skarsgård has naturally. Um, and I can't imagine anyone else in the, in the role, uh, that she provides just like this strong kind of slave woman with kind of witchy, witchy elements. And it is a throwback to Edgar's first film, the witch with her. Um, so it was cool to see that kind of full circle moment. I hope that they have more collabs going forward. All the, all the, all the chanting and all the, uh, Old gods and the new gods. It it was a little Game of Thronesy, but it was perfect. I mean, it's it's exactly what the Viking culture was about, um, and a lot of like weird written honor codes and following things through, being a man. All that stuff is in there, and um, in, in a kind of a modern light, which is nice to see. So I can't imagine a movie that's more true to. A, a, sp- a very niche genre which is the viking epic and i i haven't seen a viking epic really um so i don't know what a good one's supposed to look like but now i've seen one and i don't think anything could top this eggers really dives in and, and shows a new range as a director here um I, he just showed that he's a good director and he's not genre specific which was phenomenal to see so i knew it was going to be good before i saw it uh, a lot of people criticize it, maybe for being hyper violent, but that's the point. I mean, it's a Viking epic. They were a hyper violent people. Um, I got I got some Braveheart vibes from this too, in a weird way, like the uh, especially the avenging aspect, but also just the way that a lot of the murders and things were carried out. And on on top of all this hyper violence and all this lore, you can see the intelligence of Skarsgård of his character. He's not just a beast; he's kind of this cunning beast um and he's a man on a mission and the film kind of follows that very truly i also really like the villain um in the movie and and by the end you realize that there's a lot of depth to things like the way that this boy grew up Scarsgard's character um i think it's based on amleth he's he's very he's kind of naive um and his view of the world, and and it quickly gets turned around. Thankfully, to Nicole Kidman's performance, which is fantastic.
1: Um,
2: Tom Tom Cruise can maybe she's the one that got away. I don't know, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of really dark themes to tackle here: um, incest, really weird family dynamics, slavery. But it's exactly what you would expect in a Viking epic. It's not clean in any sense of the word. And the action sequences aren't either. His character is not invincible, which is perfect. It's, it's, it's It's kind of an odyssey of sorts. He faces a lot of challenges, but there's one goal in mind, and Eggers follows it through to the T. And then, you know, Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke, all these guys that just tagged along kind of for minor performances. Without those, the movie doesn't have the depth that it had. The cast was super phenomenal. It was, it was great. And, and because of guys like Hawk and Defoe giving those like minor roles, uh, which they were willing to do to pursue a great movie, I'm sure they didn't get paid very much. That's fine. It's clear they cared about the art, which brings us back to the original debate we were having a couple of minutes ago. This is an arty film that I would think should have mass appeal. And it's a shame it didn't. Hopefully it gets some more acclaim on Peacock now that it's available for everyone or everyone that has Peacock Premium. Um, I saw it on Peacock Premium, so I'm a little disappointed with myself that I didn't see it in theaters. And I would love to see this in a theater someday. I think it deserves it. And it was clearly meant for the theater. The cinematography, everything was beautiful. Um, The final scene, I mean, a fight in a volcano. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, the final scene like really gave me like ending of Revenge of the Sith vibes. Like just by the landscape and you know and sort of the relationship between the two characters. Uh but I, I honestly can say I think with certainty that like this is one of the best this movie has one of the best one shots that I've seen in like the past five years. Uh if you guys know what I'm talking about, like the the berserker scene where they go into the village. Like that, that scene is just like wonderfully directed, wonderfully shot. And then like, yeah, it really just showcases the brutality of these Vikings. Uh, you know, Lucas Mattson got a lot more like primal here. Uh, hopefully Sam gets that reference, uh, succession reference there. Uh, but nah, just, uh, yeah, just the authenticity of this movie just like really, really propels it for me, makes it a lot better, uh, I'm doing some research right now. And before the pod, it was Natalier. Like, it's called, like, Natalikir. It's the game that they play. And, like, that was a real Viking game. Like, historians have, like, cited that. And, like, I've watched countless interviews with Eggers about this. And it's, like, like he's a historian first, I think. Like, in terms of what he brings to the table. Uh, sure, other directors do do their fair share of research. But, like, him and his brother will sit down and read, like, I want to say it's like 20 books a month in preparation just for their, maybe even more. Like it's just insane. The drive that he has towards his work. The uh, same thing he did with the lighthouse wanting yeah, to build yeah. like a
2: period accurate movie.
0: Yeah. And he literally built the, he like built the lighthouse for that. And like, he built all the cottages in the Northmen, like built all these sets practically. Like, not much in this is CGI. There obviously is some stuff that's CGI, like like we were talking about the ending scene and whatnot. But um, it looks super authentic. Uh, and I just have to applaud him for that. Like, Definitely one of the leaders. And it's great that he can make an epic because uh, you know he's dealt in the horror and mystery genre really, really well. And that sure is in this through Bjork and uh, Willem Defoe's characters. Uh, sort of makes us question, you know, what is fate? How do we handle fate? Uh, especially through the device of this powerful man who's seeking revenge. Uh, so he I
2: makes think that's... epics anymore. I mean, seriously. Like, yeah. Like no one makes it willing epic, to memories. tackle an epic.
0: Yeah. And like, this is a fully rounded epic that honestly, like we were talking about the three hour runtime on the Batman. Like, what was this? This was like two twenty or something. Like it was, it under was two... perfect. It was, yeah, it was like under two thirty. Like there was no fluff in this. Edgar said what he need to say with a fully rounded story. And like some great characters, really. Like, this was like, I give this film five stars, like, because I really did love it. And it's one of my favorites from 2022, if not my favorite. I'll say that passionately.
1: Yeah. I just, five star movie for me, too. I'm such an Eggers dork. I, kind of everything from him is five stars for me. It's going to be really hard for him yeah. to
0: disappoint me. Um, I, I literally have given everything that he's directed five stars. Like, <laughs> literally.
1: and And I almost, you know, <laughs> It's almost like you you don't want to seem like you're such a fanboy, but I just can't help but appreciate what he does. And it's so funny you guys bring up the the research. And I think he has this rap now for doing that crazy re- research. And if you listen to interviews, he'll literally say like, "My favorite part about making movies is the research," and that's such a weird thing to say. Like, I don't think I've ever heard another filmmaker say that. Um, but how cool is it to have someone like that right now? And, and that pretty much cares about only making period pieces that are going to take you somewhere else. I, I just, I think that's part of what movies are for. Um, and my other point brought up the hyperviolence and I thought, John, you you kind of nailed it. The only other point I wanted to make on that is it is extremely violent and people did criticize it for that. But the movie makes a point of saying, "Oh, maybe the Vikings like weren't that great," you know. Like, there's literally a scene where they basically just like kill a whole village of people, and we don't feel good about that as the audience. Like, you're like, "I cannot believe I just want, watch these people all die." Um, and you know, it, it, everything in this movie—it's pretty straightforward story-wise in terms of you know how do you think a revenge movie is going to play out but the ethics are very muddy and there are no straightforward answers, which in my opinion is a very good thing. We should be asking ourselves questions during movies, especially action movies. Like we should be interrogating that action. And um, I will also shout out Nicole Kidman. It's, It's good to have her back, like doing really, really good work. Like that is probably, I mean, aside from that berserker scene, which is probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, Nicole Kidman has a major scene where she really gets to chew up some dialogue and, and scenery, and it's disturbing. And she's incredible in it. And uh, so yeah, The Northman, five stars for me as well, Peter.
2: I might have to I might have to reevaluate my rating. I gave it four and a half, but this conversation has brought out some things I didn't think of. Um, yeah anyway fantastic fantastic pete do you have anything else to say
0: not really uh yeah so uh that was the northman again on peacock premium although i would recommend seeing it in a theater i watched it on peacock premium but next time i see this in the theater you know like showing i'm going to it as soon as possible because it is quite the spectacle uh so our next film is a 2022 uh release again weird tangent because this is kind of a lighthearted one uh sort of a feel-good one uh it's entitled hustle and uh the plot reads after discovering a once-in-a-lifetime player with a rocky past abroad a down-on-his-luck basketball scout takes it upon himself to bring the phenom to the states without his team's approval against the odds they have one final shot to prove they have what it takes to make it to the nba uh directed by jeremiah zagar uh, written by Will Fetters and Taylor materney And it stars Adam Sandler, uh, Utah jazz forward, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Queen Latifah. Uh, and it is a Netflix original, and it still is on Netflix. Uh, you know, I'm, we're all basketball fans here. I, I know that for a fact. And like it was cool to see a basketball movie that is actually reflective of the NBA and sort of the abroad process through this character of Stanley Sugarman played by Adam Sandler. Uh, First off, just have to say that's a great name for like that down on his luck, like washed up basketball player, just an incredible name. Uh, But also, I mean, it, it, this movie does develop some good characters. Uh, This sort of a divergence from our other films. Uh, Not that it's not bad. Like this is an entertaining movie. Uh, It's just sort of lighthearted, you know, a sports drama. Uh, It really fits in that category really well. But I think it's done really well, and uh, clearly Jeremiah Zagar really loves the game of basketball, as well as Sandler. Uh, just love the game of basketball, and like this is their opus for that. Uh, so, who would like to kick it off with hustle? Uh, just because we're just gonna like fanboy over this stuff, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I thought all the uh,
1: the basketball action was like super convincing. Um, I don't know. It's o- it's always kind of funny to see basketball like behind the scenes shots of actors where they can't really shoot and they're not very athletic like they've clearly never played basketball before i thought this was like pretty cool to say let's get nba players that can actually act right like and uh it made the basketball stuff super convincing and i thought the acting was actually like pretty authentic and i will give a major shout out to anthony edwards of the minnesota timberwolves down the road for me great player first of all but like could he get a supporting actor nomination honestly like in my personal <laughs> in my personal if, vote, K,
0: if kg didn't he won't that's all i'm saying <laughs> He
1: is he's very good he's not gonna get a supporting actor nomination but he's very good and like just just really really mean in in, in a really entertaining way in this movie right and uh juancho Hernan gomez is also good um and it's so interesting to see Sandler and Queen Latifah together in a movie. I thought they were such a good couple. Uh, so entertaining. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is just a really, really fun movie. I will say, like, it is it is a drama. Like, this is not a comedic Sandler performance. At Like, he's got some funny lines, but it's not Billy Madison. Like, he is taking this pretty seriously. It's It's kind of it's got a little bit of the uncut gems thing in there. I mean, he is kind of going through it in this movie. Um, and I thought he crushed it. I mean, it's a great performance. And I think Pete, you nailed it. What makes this movie really work is the love everybody has for basketball. Um, you, you can just see the passion on everyone's face in the movie. And um, yeah, it's super rewatchable too. Like it's, there's not a bad actor in it. Everyone's having a good time. and, and, If you love basketball, the basketball like pickup scenes that they have in this movie are really fun to watch. Um, And also just super fun to be like, oh, my God, that's Trey Young. Or uh, there's like Matisse Theibel, like just standing in the background. Pretty funny. It's, It's like a good like, oh, there's that guy movie. So no, good movie. One of the better like Netflix releases that I've seen recently. So, yeah.
2: Oh, for sure. And Adam Sandler can hoop which a lot of people wouldn't expect from looking at it. He hoops all the time. And for years before this, I'd seen videos of him hooping and like, he loves going to NBA games and just being a part of the culture. Um, this is definitely him reliving some of his like childhood dreams. And he willed. The, I have to imagine he willed this movie into existence because um, it doesn't happen without Sandler. But yeah, the the heart and soul of the film is in the basketball. Uh, it was fantastic. I, I wished I could have even seen more NBA players. I know they jam-packed it with NBA players, but seeing Anthony Edwards was really cool. He stood out to me as the most polished of the acting skills among NBA players. And of course, he was probably like the best player in real life that has a big role in this. Juancho Hernan Gomez has kind of bounced around and a lot of people have actually thought that he might land like a nice little free agent contract after that movie um we'll see but anthony edwards is a star in the rise and he plays the same thing in the, in the movie and it's great and then shout out also to like the street ballers like they hired some professional street ballers to play this yeah, i think ball. the professor so then the, street the professor,
0: if you know who the professor is he was in this uh he's just like this little white guy who just like destroys people with his handles like on pickup and he dresses up like spider-man like he has a bunch of subscribers but like he was literally one of the street ballers just a weird thing I noticed. they had some everything was
2: authentic. The basketball was authentic. and the acting was real. Like these, are, these guys were all clearly putting their heart and soul into the acting. Um, and it was refreshing, honestly, in, in a sports drama, and especially in a Sandler film, I'm a huge advocate for seeing Adam Sandler actually act um, aside from like the funny stuff, which is just his personality. And, and that's definitely evident in his three serious films, which I would say are Punch Drunk Love, Uncut Gems, and Now You Could Add This to the list. Maybe there's more I'm not thinking of. But he that that silly humor is definitely ingrained in his personality. But it's, it's good to see him do serious work because he is a good actor. He really is. And he's just a fun guy. I would love to be on a set with Adam Sandler or just hoop with him in real life. I would get destroyed by him but he he instead of like making another stupid movie he he went out and decided he wanted to play with nba players and it's clear he's like living his childhood fantasy it just it's really fun to see
0: yeah uh yeah you you talked about anthony edwards like being the best i i sort of like Juancho Hernan gomez a little more in this like I thought I thought he was good. Like, I thought he was good. He did what he had to do. You know, he had a few dramatic scenes where I was like, damn, like this isn't just an NBA player. Like you could tell that like Sandler taught him some stuff in the acting realm and whatnot. Uh, And I'm sure the other actors did like uh, Ben Foster has a minor role in this fantastic actor, like definitely one of the most underrated actors, along with Paul Dano uh, of the past like five years, I'd say five, 10 years. Uh, Robert Duvall is in this, too. Like Sandler really like went into his bag and sort of like got some big names uh not only in the basketball world but even in the acting world uh, which I thought was cool and uh, a weird subplot that I really liked was the integration of his daughter's talents into his work as well and like as you know as artists like sort of seeing that and getting that opportunity and not knowing it and then fulfilling that opportunity and becoming viral off it like that's just I think I, th- I thought there was a really cool subplot of the movie uh, and it really developed the relationship between Sandler and his daughter because you know as as in the movie he's not home that much Uh, so I think that really worked as a great device not only to showcase you know the passion of a young artist but uh, to improve the relationship of him and his daughter so just a weird like subplot that I thought was non-basketball related that sort of not I related with but I can see how people relate to it.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I I don't have too much else to say on this movie. I think it's pretty just straight, straightforward a hit, right? Like there's really, I didn't see anything wrong with this movie. I I had a great time watching it and it would be a great movie to like sit down and intensely watch and a great move, like in the classic Netflix fashion to just kind of have on in the background while you're cooking or whatever else. Right. Um, I think there's a great, Philadelphia training montage the likes of which I have not seen since Rocky. who would have known it would have been Wancho Hernan Gomez to bring back the Philly uh training montage but yeah no I, and I'll give you that Pete I mean Wancho Hernan Gomez gotta l- give him a lot of credit he basically has to help Adam Sandler carry this movie right uh I mean Anthony Edwards has like three or four scenes and he's memorable in them but he's not he's not the star right and Wancho Hernan Gomez is in like most of this movie and he does a very good job and it's very random to see him but he is really really good so there there was a reason why they picked him um but yeah just solid work all around and and a very very fun basketball movie would definitely go in like the basketball movie hall of fame with like hoosiers and i'm forgetting other basketball movies right now but it's it's a very good one
2: yeah, we'll, we'll we'll wait and see uh come come spring if Anthony Edwards gets his nomination for best supporting actor I
0: oh I do have to say uh <laughs> I I do think like the NBA and the sixers like definitely paid Netflix a bag for this to be paid movie. yeah yeah or do, you do you think, think they it works paid the other way? I
2: think I don't think there is that much money going around I think really? there' was probably okay. mutual interest um yeah, yeah but if anyone's getting paid I mean I imagine the NBA? actors are getting paid not the, not even the nba just like all these personalities that well i mean netflix has
0: in. unlimited money so
2: i don't know yeah i was gonna well, say well their stock did take a big hit but
0: the way they spend
1: money though I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they paid a lot of money to to like use their facility and stuff like that but it's there's probably some weird agreement there i'm not sure
2: i have to look that up yeah yeah to look that up uh, I'm trying to look up the budget right now and I can't find that much I, I think Sandler them, there's sure. there's reports Sandler got paid 350 million dollars
0: so <laughs> that's that I feel like he, he would have taken the the least of it because it was a passion project you know so I like Tom Cruise like he wants to do it so uh, but.
2: yeah anyway that can be that can be a separate research thing all I'm seeing is Sandler made well, he's on that big deal with the streaming service, actually, if we remember. Like, yeah, all of his films are TV on. There. Halloween, yeah. And they're saying that the deal is worth almost 400 million. Sandy so Wexler. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: they're be, probably just it's like.
1: It's going to be hard to find any, like, box office or stats for Netflix just because they don't really release anything. The only the only thing they Might really be a
2: money laundering service, actually.
1: Yeah. It, it is the way they report their data is like very interesting. If you ever look into it, they'll only say, "Hey, like, hustle was number one for," you know,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't know
1: it. That's like, the whole red notice thing last year. They were like somehow red. Oh, Two hundred fifty
2: million dollars. Yeah,
1: it's silly. It's
2: just yeah, they they're also throwing, I think it was like five hundred or six hundred million dollars at, Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig. To make knives out two and three so we'll see that's wild i'm surprised they only release stuff to their streaming services like i would have loved to see netflix debut the godfather first in cin- or not the godfather the irishman first in cinemas and then later put on the streaming service and reap the profits i don't understand why it just has to be on the streaming service
1: you know, and it's weird the way they do that because they didn't do it for the Irishman, but they did it for Power of the Dog. I saw the Power of the Dog in the theater. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. So I'm not, I,
0: I don't know the logic behind that. It must be, it must be specific to like production company and stuff. Those mm-hmm. agreements. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. And they were also
2: really, really trying to make a run at Best Picture for Power of the Dog. Um, but. Apple Apple of all the streaming services got got the first Best Picture.
0: It's kind of crazy. We could
2: talk streaming more some of it. That'd be a fun episode, honestly. That would be
1: a fun episode. That would fun. Basically, I mean, the, the summary is Netflix built the foundation and tried to win Best Picture for like 10 straight years, and then Apple took them two years to do it. It's so funny.
2: Yeah. Apple has like five films, and they won with one of them just somehow but they also didn't make that they have just bought it they bought coda yeah that was a sundance that was a sundance favorite all right so i will introduce the next film um everything everywhere all at once this is a personal favorite um and i really like it in this lineup i know that you guys don't like it as much but it's probably the premier multiverse film i'll say and i really loved it was trippy so i really like that the plot is an aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save what's important to her by connecting with the lives she could have led in other universes. Directed and written by the Daniels, who we have talked about in the pod before, uh, Daniel Shiner and Daniel Kwan, and it stars Michelle Yeoh, Keon Kwan, and Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, among others. But this, is, this has A24 written all over it, and... I didn't bring this up earlier, but when we were talking about, like, great modern directors, we were talking about Robert Eggers, right? And I, I thought for a second, and I thought back and I thought, who that's a great modern director didn't kind of get some type of start or help from A24 to showcase their talents? I can't think of a big one. Um, I'm thinking of all these names, like the Safties and Eggers, Ari Aster, and these guys all got A24 starts. So shout out to A24 once again, who we love on the pod. Pete has some A24 gear that he owns. Um, I'll have to get some soon. But anyway, move point aside, the Daniels directed this. And if you are familiar with their history, they've done some weird things. They did The Death of Dick Long, which is a movie about a guy who has sex with a horse. And they also done Swiss Army Man which was low-key really good uh, with Daniel Radcliffe. This, though, is another completely new direction for them. And this is where they really showcase the talent that I didn't think they had. Um, And that's aided by a fantastic cast, what I think is fantastic editing and fantastic visuals. And I'm glad I saw this after Spider-Man into this No Way Home, right? Because... If I had seen Spider-Man No Way Home first, I probably would have given it like three and a half or four stars or something and been like, well, the act the acting's not great, but it's cool to see a multiverse movie or the CGI looks fake, but it's cool to see a multiverse movie. After I saw this, really the, the ceiling for Spider-Man No Way Home was three stars because this was once again done with a way worse budget, uh, less of a budget, not on paper as talented of a cast, or as talented people working behind the scenes. And you get this like really introspective, kind of deep, funny, touching movie um, that takes the multiverse thing to a new level. And I have to say, I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She was like the perfect villain. Who doesn't love an IRS agent as the villain? I mean, that, that just says it all. Um, and the humor in this was, I laughed out loud like 10 times at least during the showing but then it takes you to places like the rocks sitting over the grand Canyon or whatever, conversing on the screen Um, and just weird, weird things that I wouldn't have expected would have worked, but they did. And I think everything kind of worked. I left the movie theater saying like, what did I just see? And I thought about that for days and that's kind of my criteria for giving me, for giving like such a high rating to it. I did give this five stars um, because I thought about it so much and I'm still thinking about this. I need to see it again. It was also great to see it in theaters, by the way, it's a theater movie for sure. And um, I don't know. I just think, I think it did, did a lot. It didn't do too much and it was fantastic.
0: Yeah. I I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't get like, I like this movie a lot too, John. Uh, I gave it four stars. It's just for me, it's just the multiverse genre. Like, it's just not appealing to me. I, I'm definitely in the minority when it comes to that. And sure. Yeah. This movie has a lot more to explore and unpack. Uh, there's a lot of themes of family and decision-making and, you know, like, how do we value those things? Uh, and I, like you said, like the editing is just phenomenal. This some of the best editing I've ever seen in a movie. And that's, that's why it's up there for me. Uh, and the story is great as well, too. It's it's sort of an American dream story as well. And it sort of focuses on the different uh characters within that dream. Uh you have her father, uh, and then her daughter as well, and they're completely polar in the way uh they they view this dream. Uh do have to praise Kihi Kwan, his uh return to acting. Uh I love that story, seriously. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, he was in Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom as shorthand, and then he was in The Goonies as well. And then Hollywood sort of had this, I don't want to say anti-Asian sentiment about it, but it kind of was in terms of casting and storytelling uh, in the late 80s, throughout the 90s, and even up until now. And then he said, once he saw Crazy Rich Asians, he was like, you know, I want to get back into acting, got an agent, and then he got cast in this. And it seems like he didn't miss a beat. Uh, he was phenomenal in this, uh, as well as Michelle Yeoh, uh, just another massive star, a uh, huge star, bigger than some of the actors we revere today in America uh, in terms of just global film. Uh, so she was great in this. Jamie Lee Curtis, just all the, all the performances are great. I thought the writing was great. Uh, it's just the multiverse thing just drags it down for me. I'm just not a fan of it. I'm sorry. Uh, but I might have to rewatch it again. Uh, to fully unpack, like you, John. Uh, yeah,
2: Pete. Uh, you can just think about that. All I'm saying no, is, uh... I,
0: I will. I'll, I definitely need to think about this one more. It definitely is an extremely complex film. Uh, there's a reason why people are calling it one of the best films of like the past five, ten years, whatnot. Uh, so I have to look it's, into it more.
2: It's got an average rating of 4.5 on Letterboxd,
0: which is insane. 4.6. All right. I think I it's 4.5 now. Oh, uh, really? Right. Okay.
2: And a little fun fact for the people on here that are from Letterboxd or listen to this from Letterboxd, this is one of the few films that Letterboxd has like dedicated an Easter egg to. Um, if you know, yeah, like, that, within if, the functionality of Letterboxd, there's some Easter watch, eggs. Yeah. And in this film, the like watch symbol is a little eye,
0: which is really cool. What other films does Letterbox have that for? Let me check. Do you well, know? Or?
2: Yeah. You you can just like look it up online, like Letterboxd Easter eggs. Okay um the one... one of them is gremlins I think
1: Gremlins is one the the only other one I know is uh, portrait of a lady on fire when it's a fly- flame. Oh, yeah. it's a flame yeah, yeah. it's either the
0: watched or like it's a flame, which is pretty cool. It's the watched uh, no, it's the light it's the light I do remember that yeah do they have one for dune? I don't think so. Let me check right now.
2: Yeah, they did. They did. The eye icon was colored blue instead of green, like the fremen.
0: Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do see that now. That's very minor. Keen Oh, eye they're icon. all
2: very minor. But... Keen
0: eye.
2: Uh... Anyway, Letterboxd Easter eggs. It's just a fun little thing. Doesn't We're, we're just really we're just Letterboxd maybe. merchants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a f- huge fanboy of the app, so I apologize, but. I'll support it to my dying day. Yeah.
1: Letterbox, pay us money. Like, what are you waiting for? Um, for
2: real. I'm, I'm looking for a little kickback, or at least like uh, reimburse us for the pro slash patron accounts. I did upgrade to patron just because I love it so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I,
1: to, to keep it at Letterboxd, we I think this movie is still in the top 10, right? for all-time Letterboxd, which, you know, wh- yeah. great. I'm glad everyone loves it so much. John, I'm glad you love it so much. I want everyone to love every movie. Is it a top-ten movie of all time? Not not for me. Do I think it's a very, very good movie and, frankly, better than most movies? Yes. I, I think it's, it's very, very good. And really, really earnest in a way that is, you know, very touching at times. And it sometimes kind of wore me down a little bit, but for the most part, I was very moved by it. It felt like an authentic family story, um, like which, which in the middle of this absolutely insane plot, like a plot that, you know, one of my minor issues is, is I, I kind of have a little trouble understanding even after this is the like millionth multiverse movie at the last two years or whatever but um i do like either i had trouble understanding or, or i'm having trouble remembering exactly how the the mechanics of the plot work but at the in the end it's about the people in it it's about michelle Yeoh's character who who i think her performance is incredible um the cast i think was my favorite part of this movie um but I do have to hand it to the Daniels. Like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of like big maximalist movies, like, like Baz Luhrmann, like the Elvis movie. I I, I like that movie, but it's just so big. It's, it's, it kind of just feels like you're flashing stuff at me and telling me it's good. Um, but, but for, for this movie, I thought there was real substance there. Right. And, and there isn't always with movies like that. Right. Um, so I, I mean, it's not it's not a five star movie for me. It's definitely up there though for the year. And frankly, I think it's it's admirable not admirable. It's it's wonderful that it has connected with so many people. And I didn't have that experience where I was like, this movie has changed my life, whatever. But so many people have. Um, and it's been a while since we've seen you know a, a movie like that that has clearly just struck a chord with so many people and frankly the things we've been talking about today kind of constantly throughout the pod of, you know, just the state of movies today, it's, it's really refreshing whether you think it's a perfect movie or not to have a movie like this, that just seems like everyone can at least say is pretty, at least pretty good and is made with pretty good intentions. Um, and most people are saying is like a masterpiece. Right. So um, I'll say that. I mean, I, I, I have criticisms of, criticisms of this movie but i for the most part don't want to rain on the parade that is this movie i had a wonderful time with it and uh you're absolutely right that it should be seen in a theater so that's kind of where i'm at
2: just a great movie fantastic and i'm glad you guys completely agree with me that it's one of the best films to come out in recent time no i'm just kidding um i'm glad you guys at least liked it though and, and saw it for what it is which is is a pretty ambitious project that it wasn't touted as like this fantastic movie or anything, but the audience really picked it up and ran with it and loved it. And the amount of people that I've heard, like you need to go see this film from was pretty cool because I think it is deep. And I think it has elements that appeal to the cinephile and the mainstream audience still loved it. Um, And it got such mass, appeal to both critics and audiences alike. Um, I'm pretty sure it ended up grossing positive amounts in the theater. I hope it did.
1: It did. I mean, and it, it. it's amazing for a movie with this small of a budget with no real movie stars in it. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is a great international star, but her her name recognition isn't great in the United States. And everyone who's seen this movie like will remember her forever now, right? Um, and you're right, it is like just so deep in cinematic references from like Ratatouille to like the f- the films of like one car, Wai and stuff like that. Like there's all these great cinematic shout outs that I, I really, you know, appreciated. And I thought for the most part, you know, w- were earned. Um, and, and I will say again, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to have such a open-hearted movie. Like I, even though I found it so open-hearted that it at times felt like I was getting crushed by the weight of its hug right um where at some some points i felt like okay i get what the movie's about it's very nice let's wrap it up um it's still nice it's still just wonderful to to be in a theater and just just feel the love like that so yeah
2: yeah i i kind of i i got some weird uh parallels to inception or not inception interstellar when i was in the theater here or um, watching this. And I thought back to your comments when you did the Nolan pod, when I was in the theater, which I wanted to tell you about for a while, I thought it was weird, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, this film is tackling so much and there's so many different ways you could go with this that are existential AF or some other deep thing. And then the final like kind of resolute theme is that it's all about family and holding on to your family, right? And I thought back to what you said about interstellar, which is that it's crazy that they do this like movie that explores the concepts of space and time, which this one does too. And then like the one thing that holds them together is love. Um, And and I really don't know what to think about that. I don't know what else they could have picked in either of those movies. Um, Otherwise it would have been cynical, but I think why people love both those movies interstellar and everything everywhere all at once is because they're kind of wholesome. And I left the theater just feeling really good. I was like, what did I see? Also, I feel really good about it. Um, because it it makes, you, it makes you happy to see this person like have the power to transcend the multiverse and all this stuff. And then they realize they just like their normal life. Um, and for all of us that don't have the power to transcend the multiverse or go to space, we're happy living our normal lives then, you know? And I saw this. In between Apocalypto and Prisoners, so great triple feature. So it, it was just amazing because I see so many bad movies. So to three see like three really good movies in, in a row, um, and Prisoners, if you haven't seen it, we'll talk about it at some point, sometime down the line. Paul Dano, fantastic. But yeah, uh, everything over all once. Yeah,
0: I just I just have to shout out uh, Detective Crashmore in this one. Oh yeah, uh, he was great. The, the actor known as the actor known as Biff Whiff. Uh, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> still can't great. believe that's his real name. Uh, but this is literally the only other thing I've uh, seen him. I was just waiting for him to be like, "Are you dumb?" <laughs> just like to, to our main character. Uh, big. I think you should leave reference there uh, for anyone who listens to that. Uh, any anything anyone else has to add about everything, everywhere, all at once.
2: No, I, I have something to say about the stuff we've covered. Um, and as we've covered it, I've kind of realized this. I, I mean, I knew it going in, but I, if we did this podcast a year ago, first of all, we wouldn't even have close to as many good movies to cover. But also we probably would have been a lot more cynical about the state of movies. And this is like a turning point. I've seen some absolutely fantastic projects in the beginning of 2022, like seriously showstoppers. And I would not be upset if like the Oscars was tomorrow and this was the lineup we got for the Oscars. Like it's already that good. I think like if Avatar, the way a water hits, right. And some of the other films down the line, like we could be looking at the, at least the best year in cinema in this decade or the past like 10 years. Seriously. um, It's last year was good towards the end of the year. But at this point in last year, it was not like this. This is great. Um, and maybe it, we're still coming back from the whole COVID delayed production thing. I mean, at least Top Gun was one of those. The Batman as well. Um, so that might be why we've gotten this stacking of such great films. But genuinely, uh, there's probably been five to ten, like four, four and a half, five star films so far this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, on that note, like Sam, is before we end, uh, is there any other like thing that you've seen recently shows TV that like you want to put our listeners on as well as us?
1: Uh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, I think we, I think John mentioned the end of 2021. There were a lot of it, it finished strong, right? Like we we haven't talked about Licorice Pizza yet. We haven't talked about Red Rocket. Um The Matrix four, I'm a big Matrix fan. Not everyone probably loves that movie, but I really love that movie. Um there was a lot of good stuff last year. Um for TV, I think Succession, Peter, you mentioned that. I think that has its thumb on something right now where it kind of feels like it 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 gets this point in our culture um better than actually I think any movie has recently. Um and so that that's what I'd recommend for TV, but I will like to shout out um, a movie that I saw a couple weeks ago and Neon the distributor is doing this weird thing for this movie, which really drives me nuts um, until I saw it, but where this movie is only playing in one theater at like at a time um, for the foreseeable future. And the movie's called Memoria and, I was so pissed off about this release schedule and I'm lucky that I live in a city and it came to my city and I got to see it in like the two day window that it was here. Um, and, you know, I was really upset going in cause I'm like, I just can't believe I haven't had the chance to see this movie. And so many of my friends won't have the chance to see it. But then I saw it and it was, it, it's become one of my favorite movies just instantly. And I, when I go to the theater, I often like what I see but I don't often feel like I just saw something that's going to be one of my favorite things ever. And, uh, this movie Memoria starring Tilda, Tilda Swinton. Um, it's by a a Thai director, um, who goes by Joe as his moniker, because he has a long name um, that I won't butcher on the podcast. Um, just a wonderful movie. Um, felt like I was stunned in the theater was the best looking movie I've seen in a really long time. Um, and I I really don't want to say too much about it because I think if it ever is near anybody, you should go see it in, in, in the movie theater. So, um, really weird that they're doing that release schedule and I wish they weren't because I want everyone to be able to see it. But, um, I, it really like took my hair off. Like I, I was just stunned. Um, so that those are the things I'd recommend. Yeah, I mean, other than that, Crimes of the Future. I, I think we've all saw phrases. So, I, and I think even though Crimes of the Future, you can't stream it yet. You can rent it from I think Amazon right now. So. Yeah, but I agree. It's been a, it's been a great year so far.
0: Great year. Yeah, uh, listeners, as always, we 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 have a lot of uh, sort of things at our disposal at Slash of Cinema. So if you want to watch uh, anything, just let us know. Uh, I meant to say like services, stuff like that. Uh, but something else uh, that I wanted to mention, a show uh, really sweeping, like popular and critical circles. It's Apple TV. It's called Severance. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you watched that John?
2: I haven't seen the whole thing, but I'm a couple episodes. Okay.
0: In. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like five episodes in right now. Uh, just a really interesting concept. Uh, a lot like Prime's Homecoming in terms of like uh, how corporate and like mysterious it is. Uh, really cool, g- killer cast like Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken. Like Christopher Walken, isn't it? Like, and it's like a new <laughs> show, uh, which is pretty crazy. Apple uh, TV's
2: starting to kill it. And yeah, no. I'm, like, I was going to shout out the Blackbird, which I, I don't know if you've seen the yet. trailer or anything. No. It's a six-episode limited series. Is that the first?
0: Hamilton? what? Taron Edgerton. Yeah.
2: Taron Edgerton and Paul Walter Hauser is the serial killer. And it's based on a true story of like this, like small arms, like drug dealer that gets a 10 year prison sentence. And in order to get his sentence commuted, he has to elicit a confession from this like serial killer that in real life, this actually happened. And he killed like 45 people or something. Um, But like, they don't have anything that sticks to him, so they send this guy in to get a confession. First two episodes are out on Apple TV. Overall, I think it's going to be like six hours by the end, but um, each episode's like an hour. Damn, it's right, it is Ray, fantastic.
0: Ray, one of Ray Liotta's last roles. I, it, I think example. it is Ray Liotta's yeah. last role.
2: Damn, um, he's the yeah, he was great in the first two episodes. And Taryn, like Edgerton or Egerton, I don't know how you pronounce it.
0: Edgerton, <sighs> yeah. is it Pete? Yeah, Edgerton. Edgerton. I don't know. I don't. It, it, yeah, but he like, just
2: like he hasn't gotten a chance to showcase his his real acting chops yet. Yeah. and so I also really appreciated that. And then Paul Walter Hauser, who, if y'all don't know, is Richard Jewell and stuff. Jamie Taco. He, <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's great. Um, and he looks exactly like the guy in real life. Yeah, it's it has a. I'm, I think it has a 100% in Rotten Tomatoes. I could be Damn. wrong.
0: i might i might start that tonight actually Um, it's gonna
2: blow up yeah unless it's oversaturated in the the current environment of a lot of like true crime stuff yeah um it's gonna blow up just because of how good it is i'm a big
0: big fan of uh greg kinnear i see he's in that as well so oh he's great and it's written
2: by the guy who wrote like mystic river
0: oh shit okay yeah damn so yeah fantastic Anyway, definitely. that's my suggestion. Definitely going to have that Boston grit to it. So definitely <laughs> got to watch it.
1: I have a question before we, and we can cut this part if you want. Do you have any, like, one or two movies you're excited for in the rest of the year?
0: The Way of
2: Water. Avatar? Yeah,
0: Avatar. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big Avatar head. <laughs> like, I, I love the original Avatar, so uh, uh-huh. probably that. oh what's the the olivia Wilde one doesn't look too bad it looks a little mysterious uh Mm. just i don't know if i'm here for like the harry styles like acting acting rise yeah that'll be uh, well we'll see yeah we'll see but like stacked cast in that one Mm -hmm. um some chris pine who i haven't seen on film in a very long time uh so i'm kind of excited for that one uh john and i saw the black phone uh decent i don't know i think nope should be good yeah. yeah, nope, nope as well. Uh, um,
2: I We haven't seen him miss yet, so... And then,
0: yeah, obviously the new Mission Impossible, like the last one kicked ass, so... Hmm. Uh, yeah, other than that, may, I
2: mean, it's possible that 2022 was would have been top-heavy in the year. Like, the, the beginning would have been better than the end because I'm not seeing a lot of stuff that really piques my interest. A lot of it's, mm-hmm. like, superhero stuff coming out later this year. Hmm. Um.
1: Yeah. I've got I've got some here for you. If you Okay,
2: there, good. Good. Lay okay. them on me.
1: A movie called 3000 Years of Longing directed by George Miller who directed Mad Max okay. Fury Road. That was his last. Yes. Movie. What?
0: Yeah. So I did not I've not seen that. This is a movie
1: starring Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba from my understanding which is about a genie and magic wishes and stuff like that. It just The trailer looks crazy. Um, Noah Bomback has a movie called White Noise based off of a, a novel by Don DeLillo that is one of my favorite novels that Adam Driver is going to be in, which looks awesome. Um, Good. Babylon. Margot Robbie. Oh,
2: Babylon. Yep, and, yep, I saw that.
1: And Brad Pitt, directed mm-hmm. by Damien Chazelle. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pumped for that, so...
2: i totally forgot there was a chazelle movie coming out yeah oh i'm gonna love that
1: yeah and the other thing uh one of the like weirder things that i'm excited for which who knows how this is going to turn out is blonde the uh marilyn monroe biopic starring anna de Armas,
0: which is oh yes and we all know we're big (laughs) anna de Armas fans on this i'm sure i'm sure everyone is man uh this is an. I'm excited N-
2: for the Barbie movie. I've seen ben, some of the shots.
0: Yeah. Uh, ben Affleck about to go broke going to Blonde. <laughs> blonde, you want to know Blonde's rating? NC17. Oh, come oh.
1: on. It's
0: directed by Steve McQueen. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, he's talking about, he's thinking about Shame, which Pete and I saw this year was. Uh, Oh, it's crazy. I still, don't um, don't really recommend that one to anyone. But <laughs> you should see it, Sam. You're a cinephile. Yeah. I've been it's it's like a really great movie. It's just like hard to watch at times. Depressing, just, huh? Yeah. Gotcha. I, not even that. It's just like Michael every, Fassbender. Every has a lot of Sex. like a lot. yeah. Like everything is shown. Like yeah.
1: It's been, Fassbender. So. I think Fastbender's coming out with a movie with David Fincher this year.
0: Really, I thought he retired. Yeah, I, I thought he was just a race car driver. Now
1: it might be coming out next year, but it's called The Killer. I'm not sure, but that's crazy.
2: When is Killer Killers of the Flower Moon coming out? Like, I've been waiting for this thing forever. Same thing with Oppenheimer,
0: right? Uh, Oppenheimer is gonna be a while, dude. It's Nolan. I, uh, that's fine. No movies Killers of like the Flower years Moon, has be been them. like teased
2: for years now, and I know he's probably tired from The Irishman, <laughs> but it's about to be 2023. That's a four year gap.
0: I would guess at Christmas time it would, it would come out. It's gonna be his opus, man. He can take as much time as he needs.
2: It's gonna be his opus. He's had like Wait. ten opuses,
0: bro. He's like so old.
2: Like, <laughs> he's he- been so old since like nineteen ninety. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, the day cinema loses him is yeah. tragic. Very, that oh, will I be know. very sad. I think we're seeing so far the torch is being passed, maybe slowly. Or, or maybe it's just the old guard hanging on. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean i i don't I don't know if there is a Scorsese in this group of younger. I mean, I, maybe the closest thing we have are the Safdie brothers. They seem to
0: have a little Scorsese in them. They work with him a lot too. Like they're yeah. they're close with Scorsese. But I
2: they're. I think they're just kind of imitators, though. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to look at them in forty years yeah. and see if Yeah. If
1: they're even still I, making movies,
2: yeah. PTA is still young enough. PTA is still young enough that he's going to carry for a while.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Um, I think Tarantino's going to be done making films soon, though.
0: Yeah, because he, he said every great director only makes nine films. So he's making Kill Bill three, right? <laughs> is he know. making Kill Bill three? I don't he know is. what
1: he's doing. He's been writing books recently, which is a little
0: bizarre. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, yeah. he needs to get on a coke field bender with PTA and <laughs> come up with his next movie because I, I don't want to lose him either.
0: Yeah. I was actually uh, reading an interview that said uh, – reading an interview, what am I saying? Listening to a podcast with PTA, and he was like, yeah, like, Quentin's kind of in his own world. Like, we haven't hung out much recently. And this was, like, last year. So, <laughs> no like,
2: beef. They're having beef. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. Like, they're not as close as people think. It's just, like, Tarantino just respects the shit out of him. So, like uh, – I-
1: Yeah, I think they used to be really close. Uh,
0: Yeah, they're not that close anymore.
1: There is this great interview with uh, Fiona Apple, who's a wonderful singer songwriter. If you don't know, and used to date Paul Thomas Anderson, like in the Magnolia and Boogie Nights days, and uh, she she's quoted as saying, like she has this vivid memory of being locked in a room with PTA and and Tarantino um, while they're just like coked out of their minds. And she's yep. like she says it was like hell. Like it was like the worst thing ever. So I think PTA I've read that before PTA's like has a serious relationship now. He has a bunch of kids. And Tarantino is just still like he still acts
2: like a, a bachelor.
0: Old. He's yeah. still like obsessed with feet and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. So you know, that's damn. what he's like.
2: I mean, imagine being a part of that conversation. Just like a fly on the wall. Maybe Fiona Apple hated it because she knew them and she probably heard all she needed to about cinema. But those guys just going back and forth about making good movies when they're coked up, like, come on.
1: It, it would have been something, that's for
2: sure. Yeah. That would yeah, be a man. podcast. That would be a podcast. <laughs> also, by the yeah. way, shout out to us for we've eclipsed our record time for a Splash of Cinema pod, which was um, two hours and one minute which is when uh, the three of us did Nolan.
0: <laughs> hey, man, we had a lot to talk about today. Like, these were all some very deep movies. Uh, and I'm glad we had this conversation. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think we're going to end it here. Uh, any any last remarks, Sam?
1: I just think you're going to have to uh, edit the hell out of this podcast,
0: maybe. I don't know. Nah, man, no. Like I don't nah, think we need is... to take much out. Nah, if people want to skip forward, they can skip forward. Yeah. Uh, we could just call this portion like shooting the shit. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I'm good with that. Uh, let's do that. I will do that. All right. So, signing off uh for Splash of Cinema, I'm Pete. I'm John. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on, Sam. We always appreciate you having you on. Appreciate you having me.